Hello and welcome. I'm Jules B., your host of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. Go with me behind the scenes as I dive into the lives of our guests. Each episode will feature unconventional questions that invoke joy, sorrow, and sometimes silence. Come on in, take a seat, and let's start this conversation. All right, welcome Alana again here to Behind the Labels, the Label Free Podcast production. And uh, you, from what I've read, Alana, you are a one woman show. Ooh. You are a cannabis attorney. You're the first for me, you know. Although I, I don't smoke, uh, you know, probably after talking to you, I might think. <laughs> No, I don't smoke at all. I've, I've never smoked anything. But I know that you're licensed in, in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Illinois, Colorado, and Washington. And you are, like I said, I mean, I don't know what else to say besides the fact that you are a cannabis attorney, and that says a lot. I mean, oh, my gosh. I, I just have to ask you, why cannabis? Why that? So, well, one, I've always been a fan of cannabis. Um, okay. A- as a medicine, you know, I feel like all, for the most part, all cannabis use is medical use, you know, because people, just like when people have their drink at the end of the day, you know, people want to relax or, you know, uh, have a little release of anxiety, things like that. And I, so I've just always been a fan of cannabis. But the fact is, is also I've seen the effects on cannabis and, you know, what it's had on other people around me, uh, people who were, you know, addicted to opioids or uh, things of that nature and being able to use cannabis versus using, you know, opioids and the ability to do so, you know, a lot of these things interconnect as well as like the social justice aspect. That's like a big part of it. I've always lived in, uh, you know, more uh socio socioeconomically oppressed neighborhood myself and oh, really yes yes i currently live in east new york brooklyn which is probably one of the most disproportionately impacted areas in uh my county and i've always seen you know being that i'm the white person in the room you know oh. i'm the white person around <laughs> and and so seeing friends of mine like I've had personal experiences like where I picked up a friend of mine off the side of a road this is when I was younger uh you know probably even under 18 and because he was a black man and I picked him up on the side of the road we got pulled over and things like that you know or even being in my own neighborhood driving home you know I was driving home from the law school one day and I was pulled over and like the way they searched my car and I'm like if you looked at my list like you know I live around the corner like I'm not here to buy drugs and like so just seeing the effect and then seeing also families in my neighborhood. I've lived here for 10 years, seeing people in my neighborhood who have had, you know, family members arrested for uh, selling a little weed when they're, you know, wealthy white men. Yeah. Yeah. Millions of dollars off of this. And I just, yeah, that, that you know, clearly there's uh, an imbalance there. So all of these, all of these things kind of together have really, you know, brought me to cannabis and like cannabis is, Cannabis lawyer, well, lawyering is really my second career. I was first in digital marketing, which I kind of just fell into. I didn't go to school for that at all, but I always have been a helper. And so I just kind of took what I was passionate about and 
the fact that I'm always of service and like I know that's just a neat in me and kind of just combined the two and ran with it. Um, oh, as you can imagine, I mean, when you say anything about cannabis, you can imagine the billion and a half labels that people will put on you. Uh, you know, I, I think that in my days of being uninformed, I would say that I might think something about cannabis because of the simple fact that most of the people around me were what we call potheads. And I didn't see, and when I say potheads, I mean it in terms of this is all that I saw them doing was sitting around and smoking weed. Yeah, they, they, they weren't working. They didn't want to do anything else. So, you know, we, we call them, you know, in my neighborhood, potheads, because that's all that they had on the brain was pot, and that's all that they did. But when I got older and I came in contact with other people, especially in the in the medicinal sense, mm-hmm. I have a total, totally different understanding of it. Uh, although I'd, I would never do it, because I'm, I, I just never saw, would see myself in that position. I don't think. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've never smoked anything. I don't even drink. I don't even. Okay. Cuss, I don't even cuss, Alana. Okay, so you, so you're, you're real good. You're somebody we should all that we that I aspire <laughs> to be like, of course. And, and you know, the only thing I find that that I find about even people though um using cannabis now is you know. The people who are over 55, which are the people who tend to be on the more conservative side, you know, less drinking, less any of that stuff, are the fastest growing consumer in cannabis. They're realizing, you know, instead of having to keep, you know, I'm sure you've seen from your elders. I know I've seen from my elders, like depending on whatever their health conditions are, um, the the Ziploc bag full of pills they got to take. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen the pills. I've seen the pills, but I've also seen the bag of weed next to the pills. Okay. Yeah. I mean... If it can lessen one, if it can lessen the other, great. Right. You know, obviously, right. you should talk to your doctor about mixing, uh, you know, things. But, I, but I've but i definitely seen even, like, you know, I've had classmates who were veterans, um, who were, you know, uh, stationed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, the amount of medication they took just to, you know, not have effects, you know, after effects of that, you know, when if they had to have the option for some cannabis, they may have been better off than having to take all these pills. And, like, because people always just associate cannabis also with smoking, but you don't have to smoke it. Like, right, right. I, you know, there are ointments, and I've seen like my best friend does not use cannabis at all, but like she'll, what she has terrible menstrual cramps. Like she will, she dies, and she will use this ointment and rub it all all over her stomach. Mm. And you know how it's helped her. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I have a, my father-in-law. My father-in-law is Parkinson's. So you know he already takes massive amounts of med- medication but he also deals with tremors and you know his use of you know even taking a low dose edible has kind of you know helped when those tremors are really bad yeah and he can't like hold his own cup or you know yeah yeah i have i that's why i said my idea of the pain because yeah. of the sense of the presentation also changed so i moved from seeing people just sitting out there smoking it all day long to understanding the medicinal, but I'm sorry, the medicinal of, you know, portion of it, gummy, brownie, you know, the CBD oil, all of these different things. So let me ask you this. When, I don't know if you know it, mm-hmm. but 
when it comes, when you talk about white, black, Asian, Hispanic population, mm -hmm. what populations are the largest group of cannabis users? Okay, that's a great question because, uh, you know, and again, this is, I'm not an, you know, a, a, I know. a statistician, but it's well known that it's used equally for the most part across races. You know, it's just that brown and black people are the ones who are arrested for it more. That's very true. That's because you also have a higher presence of the police in those neighborhoods. Absolutely. I could tell you all about it for sure. Yeah, I mean, much higher presence of police. I I was in recently uh, in a, an area, uh, what I would call a blighted area. Mm -hmm. And... I drove down the street and it was just like 10 cop cars parked on the side, mm -hmm. just sitting there. And I, my, my mind said, they're just waiting on something to happen. And we really? don't something to, to pick, to pick at, you know, depending yeah. on who they are, you know, depending on their, their mindset. Because I, I do see the same thing in my neighborhood. There'll be certain days where there are cop vans parked on certain corners and the cops are just standing outside. You know, waiting for that, like like you said, you know, waiting for something, depending on how they're feeling that day or the type of person they are. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, because they already think that we're the biggest users and things of that nature. Why is it so hard for us to get a cannabis license? <laughs> that I've stopped. Because it's uh, one. The one thing I will say, just generally about getting a cannabis license is the reason one of the reasons why it's hard is due to the money because with cannabis it being you know federally um illegal still you can't get like you would so um you know m no matter what state you're in you know i'm in new york but like we all have uh you know the small business administration in each of our states uh you know related to the federal government and with, through that you know normally we'd be able to get well like if i wanted to go start a dress shop and you wanted to go start a shop you know we could go and get these uh, loans and you know grants and such like that but because cannabis is federally illegal it causes less availability of money and then you add on top of it the fact that you know uh, black families tend to have less generational wealth or assets than white families you have less friends and family money that you could rely on to you know uh, start up your business um, or even to go to a bank, because most banks are federally chartered, you know, there are banks that take cannabis clients, and there are banks that you may find loans, but again, you still have to have assets. So without having assets or things to use as collateral to get these loans, you know, then you're kind of out of luck there as well. You know, so the lack of capital in cannabis and, you know, caused by the federal illegality is one of the biggest things that really makes it a problem for everybody, but especially for brown and black folks. So what do you think needs to change? And that's probably a, a question that's you're asked all the time. What I mean, this has been going on for eons and eons. You know, we've been consumers for the la the the largest consumers for the longest time. So the money's there. That's what I'm saying. We have the money to spend we just don't have a seat at the table. So how do we get a seat at the table when we have the money to spend? So you said, you know, no capital and different things like that. 
You can't say that there's not money out there when we're the largest consumers. So how do we get a seat at the table? Well, so to, let me note to your to your thing about the consumer. It's a lot it's a lot easier to say when everyone's consumers because you have all these small pots of money. You know what I mean? It's about figuring out a way to get it all together. But as far as if you if you have the availability of you know fun stuff, and some people do, don't get don't get it twisted. There are I do have plenty plenty of non-white clients that have their own stuff going on. You know, but it's just to get a seat at the table. It's you're going to need to do a lot. We need a lot more one, um, a local, local like lobbying and stuff. People, people do not realize the amount of, uh, or the 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 power of advocacy because that's how we got we legal to begin with. And I think you know, York and Jersey started to to um, try to make good strides as far as trying to make it more uh, uh, accessible to people who have been say harmed by by uh cannabis prohibition before or you know people who are diversely owned um but it's like it's not enough it's like we have to continue to keep pushing because it's all we're getting is you know as everyone knows with politics and everything you know the wheels of everything turns very slowly that way it's hard to get a lot of change quickly and it's really a lot of continuous pushing to get us there like we are seeing things like we've seen in new york here where you know, they've um, really tried to make it so that people who were previously convicted of cannabis crime, you know, were the first people to get licenses. But then you have people who are uh, against that and then they create lawsuits to try to hold the things up or to stop these things. So it's definitely a lot of the advocacy and, you know, coming, to, I would say even coming together, like to bring those, you know, those small pots of money together. And who have the capital for the people who don't have the capital because I also have plenty of my own friends who have great ideas, have great uh, brands, you know, from their previous uh, legacy work, you know, in the unregulated market, you know, the people who know them, but it's like also hard to take dirty money and make it clean, you know, like, so it's not like even if I made money on cannabis in the legacy market, you know, you could just turn around and spend it on opening a legal business you know what i mean if, if there's a whole lot more to it and it just makes it so much more complicated and i think another good thing that is to that is you know getting more resources out here to these small business owners that's some of the stuff i try to do i know there are a lot of great other organizations doing it you know to give small business services to you know help these people come left out of their pocket yeah so what would you say is the most successful lesson you've had to learn through this entire Right, and and money's not the only currency. So, what's the most successful you've had to learn? A most successful lesson, Alana. That's a really good question. Thank you. That it, I, yeah, that's really. With, I try to come up with some loopers now. <laughs> um, no, no, that was that's deep. That's a deep this. Um, hmm. It's hard to. It's harder for me to say in my in my cannabis lawyering because I found that since I stopped. Uh, you know, like when I left my first career and went to law school, I kind of stopped doing what others wanted. I think my bigger, most expensive mistakes in my life were before I became a lawyer was more staying at my job because it was comfortable and it paid my bills and not doing the thing that, you know, uh, again, going to that innate sense of uh, being of service, you know, like for me, it's not all about money. You know, I really, I, I like the joy. And so not having that joy and you know realizing that life is not worth 
going on and being joyless, you know, even in your career. Yeah. And making that decision to go to law school. And I guess actually it kind of ties back because it was really expensive because I'm the one who's paying for it still. So um, I would have had plenty of money staying in that old career and probably made plenty of money. But the fact is, is I would not have been happy and I would not have had joy and I would not have helped people. So how many cannabis uh, female lawyers are there? Or do you know? So there's there's not a lot, but you'd be surprised to hear that in the Northeast, in New Jersey and New York, there's quite a few of us. Um, uh, quite a few of us good ones that are very uh, heavily in the advocacy side. So, mm-hmm. but we definitely need more. We need more women in cannabis, period. Just like we do need more women in C-suites across any business. We, sure. just, we, sure. we, we just need to be moving up women. First of all, especially women who were moms and things like that, because moms know how to juggle stuff. That's so. That's true. And people mom, forgetting about that. Moms make the best leaders, especially when they're good moms. Let me throw it in there. Yeah. yeah. When they're worse. You know, because I mean, and I'm not a mom, but I'll tell you what, like I see my friends that are mothers who are also in their careers and doing good things in their careers. And the fact that they're able to juggle their career and be a good parent, you know, what can't you do? Yeah. Yeah. So with you being in the business of cannabis, what is it like for you meeting new people? Okay, so that, that could go either way. So when I meet new people, <laughs> yeah, it really can go either way. So people usually, I will just say, across the board are typically like, you know, oh, wow, that's interesting. Tell me more about it. Then you either get the people who are opening, open to it being a business and other people who are more uh, against it. You know, uh, really? they're like that. That's drug. That's drug. Like basically, it's heroin or whatever. Um, so, so I may have to, you know, kind of come every butt, you know, on that end. But for the most part, I find people are pretty open to it, especially when I, you know, explain to them or tell them stories of different experiences I've had, and you know, just people's lives that I've seen touched. Yeah, but you know, I mean, if, if somebody tells you that they're a welder, you don't ask them to explain that. And it's just funny if, if somebody just tells you that you're their uh, uh, cannabis lawyer, just leave it at that and keep it moving. It's just funny to me how people treat different careers yeah. differently. And to me, we all do something, or at least we should all be doing something. So that's interesting. If you would have told me you were a cannabis lawyer, I would have just said, oh, okay, and kept it moving. Do you know what's funny you say that, Julie, because when you said the welder, I would have been like, oh, tell me about that. Because I'm always interested in other people's careers. So I just find them fascinating. Like everybody who has a skill that I don't have, I just think it's just so interesting to me. So, but I find both com- the most common reaction I get is they think that I'm a criminal attorney, you know, that I'm helping people get out of jail for getting caught with weed. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, this really? is it's a commodity. Just like wow. other items. Yeah. Wow. So what's the deal deal breaker for you when it comes to your relationship, whether it be professional or personal? What's the deal breaker? What's something I will not tolerate? I will not tolerate people who are judgmental. Because, you know, I understand, you know, like the initial people are, you know, we're all going to be biased when you when you may look at somebody, you know, but be open to what they have to say and hear what they have to say first, you know before you make the judgments, because I find this is really common, even just, you know, in lawyering period, or, you know, people just make judgments, you know, and I know that even I can be biased of that, you know, I'm sure we all have these, you know, implicit biases that we don't realize. 
I would get ready to say everybody is judgmental because we have to put we have to put the things that we know in places that are going to make us feel comfortable about how we think and feel. Exactly. And there's, there's a judgment that has to come from that. So when somebody says, don't judge, I'm looking at this person saying, you're judged all the time. Yeah. You know, whether it be the direction you should go or whether it be the clothes you should wear or someone else should have put on. I don't know how many times I've said she shouldn't have those shoes on with that dress. <laughs> yeah, just be open. It's like, yeah, like that's just, yeah, that's just criminal. But I keep it moving. I've said it to myself. I keep it moving. But yeah. we all, it's just part of our nature. And I wish people would realize that and just yeah. use it in a way where it's understood and it's not detrimental to someone else. But let me ask you this. What's good enough for you right now? Right now while we're talking, what's good enough for you? What is good enough for me? Hmm. Yeah, what's good enough for you? I don't even know how to think I know how to answer that question. Really? Uh, what's good enough for me is just, and you can tell me if this is even answering the question, but what's good enough for me is just, like I said, being happy, being comfortable, helping people, making sure people are being helped, and just trying to do the best as a human I can do. Yeah. Being the best Alana I can be. That's good enough for me. Okay. Then here's my last question. Ask everybody this. If you could experience one, if you could relive one day in your life, you could only experience it again. No changes made to it. What day would that be for you, Alana? And why? That would probably be... And you might make me cry. Um, that would only be <laughs> that. That would probably be the day I graduated from undergrad, and my grandfather was there. My grandfather who raised me, you know, and he passed he passed on. He didn't get to see me graduate from law school. So, probably that day, because it just meant a lot, you know, being the first in my family to graduate from college, you know. Mm-hmm. And what did your grandfather say say to you? That he was very proud of me. Wow. I can feel that. I can feel that. You know, the person that raised you, you get a degree, you're the first to graduate from a college. And for, you know, your grandfather who raised you and he's able to say that he's very proud of you. Alana, I can just think about how that made him feel to be able to say that. And, you know, how he felt in just remembering what he had to do to make sure that you were okay. So I can definitely understand the reason why you would want to. Oh, thank you, Julie. You're literally, uh, you really brought me to tools today. <laughs> That's okay. That's <laughs> okay. But they're, they're good teams. They're yes, good teams. yes. Good they're good teams. Of course. So, you know, there's nothing like a grandfather. I, I never knew either of my grandfathers. And and the thing is, my my grandfather on my mom's side he died when my mom was on the train to take my older sister to meet him for the first time oh wow and then my grandfather that I did know I never called him grandpa one time not one time and he lived up the street and around the corner from us and he never told me that he was proud of me and I've done some pretty good stuff, 
but he never told me that. So for you to have that in your life, I can understand how special that was to you because it would have been nice for me to have that too. But I had other things instead. So definitely hold on to that. It's the memories that make Right? Of course. Of course. All right. So that is all the questions that I have for you today. But in the meantime and in between time, keep in mind we're not as divided as we are disconnected. Enjoy this day and the rest of your week and blessings to you. Same to you, Drew. Thank you. And you get Thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. We hope this conversation has reminded you of the power of your voice and the importance of taking the best steps to live a more fulfilled life. Make sure you like, follow, comment, and share. And for more content, check out the Label Free Podcast with our fabulous host, Deanna. And remember, we all have choices. We all have goals. We all make mistakes. But it doesn't have to be behind a label.